So, uh, we're here. We are here in your living room slash studio mm-hmm. slash den of sin. De- Ooh, wow. <laughs> well, I guess that's not wrong. <laughs> Drugs have been done here. That's right. Drugs have been done. Uh, and they will continue to be done as well. That's right. Um, but maybe we should, maybe drugs and sin shouldn't always be. I was thinking about this today because um, someone mentioned to me, like, you know, trying to figure out how much, how, you know, how I use drugs and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I use them as I obviously, I guess, as I think I need. <laughs> well, yeah, how they how they help the most. <laughs> and. I tried to do that, and uh, but at the same time, we got into the topic of really what is the goal of an of an average adult? Like, I feel like America perpetuates this idea that this it's in my mind puritanical that we're all uh, trying to achieve sobriety, oh, Ooh, and get okay. to a place where we don't need that anymore, uh, and that sort of adulthood is is being a person who goes to work and comes home and then just reads or something in the in quietly and has a calm conversation with their partner. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, "No. <laughs> I want to yeah. I want to have a beer after work. I want to have a beer during work, you know, but <laughs> I mean, those are the best kinds of jobs." Yeah, yeah. Uh but I feel like yeah, there's some kind of a relationship to uh drug use that I feel like this country could we could use more conversations about. Oh yeah, if you come from the place of any kind of drug use at all is First of all, bad, and obviously in most religions, any kind of drug use is bad. Not in all of them, obviously. <clears throat> excuse oh, me. Obviously, good point. obviously, in like you know, Native American pagan pagan culture, you know, they use ayahuasca, peyote. They use right. you know, natural nothing, right. nothing from a lab. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> but, and you the know, ritual around it, <clears throat> right? And the ritual around it, the practice of it, and what you're and you're supposed to get something out of it. It's not just hey, we're going to do it to do it. It's you know, you're you're going on a journey to like discover yourself or whatever it is, right? Right. right. Um, but yeah, the assumption we do it to get into fights outside bars. Well, that, I mean, <laughs> if if that's if your goal is to get into a fight outside of a bar but just, not feel it, just just <laughs> but, exactly <laughs> that's that's America right then you, there. Then you have other issues that you probably need to talk to a therapist. That's about. Exactly what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so, I meant to, I meant to say we do it when I we I meant America. No, no, I know yeah. that's I agree. Right, right. I agree. Yeah, people. And and the funny thing is, before we came, the last time we had a conversation. Um, we, we, I very quickly just, um, brought up like, oh, so why do you drink alcohol? Right. Right. And it was like, oh, that's a, that's good. I have something to do right now. We can't talk about it right now. So that's actually what I was going to bring up anyway. But you you went ahead and and brought up drugs and I was like, you know, alcohol is a drug too. Right. So it's right up, up there on that list. But I just thought it was funny, um, that if you come, if if your foundation is already that drugs are bad and people who do them are bad, then like everything else you think about drugs is going, is going to skew in a certain direction. Right. Whereas if you just say, you know, drugs affect you on a biochemical level, right? And you right. just and you just start from like science. Like right. this is what this is what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> drugs affect you this way. Right. And what are you looking to get out of it? If you um, if you're trying to regulate your mood, then mm-hmm. you probably have some some other issues going on that other things could potentially regulate your mood for you. But if you're not using it to regulate your mood, you're using it to, for some other reason. Right. Um, then right. it's not necessarily a negative thing if you're if you're not having negative consequences because of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and actually, we had a kid, uh, kid, a guy who came to our school when I was a kid and talked to us and said uh, something stuck with me, which was that all the drugs do is tweak the incoming data. Because mm-hmm. it was about that conversation about like musical geniuses and stuff like that, and people use LSD to find better songs and stuff like that. Am I going to be a good artist if I stop doing drugs? Right. So, I guess in the opposite way that therapy 
can work where, you know, when you start doing therapy, I guess the goal, I imagine, is to start to develop your own internal monologue. Start to develop your own ability to give yourself therapy in addition to going to talk to someone. Like have better skill sets in right. regular life. Right. To n understand the relationship between your thoughts and your feelings. Right. And drugs don't do that. <laughs> but they can't. Some of them can. Some of them can. But I mean, in the same way, I feel like you might be able, you might need less of them as you get older. Right. You might actually need less. Because you've, uh, you've, you've enjoyed the benefits of them and understood sort of new thought processes and maybe thought outside the box when you did mushrooms in a way you didn't before. Mm -hmm. Or found a way to sort of temper your anxiety. And then actually because you smoked the joint, maybe you actually had the time to figure something out without feeling the constraints of it around you. So maybe you were able to solve problems. It's not that weed actually helped uh, uh, make you a less anxious person in that case. But maybe you had the headspace and like the, the room to figure out what to do next. That's what that's how I really treat weed specifically sometimes. I think that intention can have um, a, a big effect on how drugs play into your life. And by and drugs I again include alcohol in that. Anything mm. that anything that changes your mental Absolutely. state in any way, I'm including in that. Um, yeah. yeah, if you go into it I think that it's a huge part of, of the way therapy works, like you said, is to give you the this, this skill set to deal with your own problems going forward outside of therapy. So you can't just right. go to therapy forever and ever and ever. Right, right. And then, as and, much as they'd love that. Yeah. You can't, you can't do that. You have to eventually, like, you know, pull back and go, okay, whatever new situation I get into, I now have the skills to deal with it myself and deal with it in a healthy way. Right. I think similarly with – there are some drugs out there that are just not helpful at all. Meth, not helpful. I don't know anyone <laughs> who's ever been like, oh, my God, meth. Meth just changed my life for the better. That's not how that works, right? There are some drugs that just don't do anything yes, good for you. Absolutely right. Um, but there, there yeah. are some that that can be constructive if you mm -hmm. choose to use them at a at a dose and at a frequency, right? And with the intention to make something constructive happen for you. But you, mm -hmm. but you do have to be aware of what your feelings are. A lot of people just don't have the vocabulary. They don't have they keep the, the space to sit, to just sit there right. and feel what they feel and understand oh, and okay. analyze and do all that stuff. If you know how to do that, though, and then say, okay, I'm good. Like, I, right. I got some processing to do. I haven't had the time or space to do it, but I want to smoke a joint right now right. and sit here and process my feelings. Right. I think that that's perfectly fine. Yeah, and that actually leads to another, I think, inherent balancing problem with drugs is that rest is a very valid thing, and it's a very, it's also very constructive mm -hmm. to get rest. And so sitting after work and having a beer or whatever it may be, smoking a joint, will, to a certain degree, help you rest. But you also don't sleep incredibly well when you're hammered. Right. So you, fat, you fall asleep really well, mm -hmm. but you don't really get the same kind of rest you do when you have a sort of manageable amount of uh, narcotics in your body. Right. So, like, if you're injured, you know what I mean? Especially, like, I've noticed this if it's a respiratory thing because I smoke cigarettes, too. You know, that, like, you know, there's always this weird smoker's math that we get into whenever we get a little cold or something. Oh, okay. Where we're like, all right, so only, like, two cigarettes today. Oh, God. You know what I mean? It's yeah. really, you do it always because you're like, I mean, I have to have, like, one. And then some people can really pull back and, you know, not do it for a couple of days. But I feel like those people usually end up quitting smoking. Yeah. Because <laughs> they have it already. Yeah, if you're already like, I don't need, I don't need a cigarette today. Like, you're on your way to quitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, my aunt says funny shit like that. She's like, I just, I'm not even worried about quitting. I just declare today a not smoking day. She'll just have a day hey, without like cigarettes. Yeah. And she probably has like, f at the most, like five a day or something. 
I don't know, something like that, you know. So everybody has their own balance, but at the same time, there always seems to be this, like, you know, smoker and non-smoker groups, and they don't seem to get along. We sure don't. <laughs> we sure don't get along. You had to smoke your cigarette outside this entire room. If I could have, this is your apartment, I would have been like, can you right. leave your own house to do right, that? Right, right. <laughs> can you not do that anywhere near me? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I guess you know that I wouldn't have because I have a fire escape anyway, if worse comes to worse. Okay. But, uh, you know, in general, I really do try to find that balance because when I grew up, my mom was always the one who was kind of like, I can't say for sure because I'm not in her head, but it always felt like she was using the um, the fact that smoking uh, bothers her to kind of like um, create a circumstance that was just more annoying and be able to control the environment a little bit. Okay. Um, but like my her, her and her brother are like night and day. They're like opposites. And I went to dinner one time with her and, and her brother, my uncle. And uh, my now ex-wife, we were all in Tel Aviv together and we're all going to dinner and my mom sat outside the restaurant. And she's like, is there going to be smoking uh, in there? And, and my uncle's like, yes, I will be smoking. Oh, I'm, God. I'm, I'm the problem. <laughs> <laughs> they just go back and forth like this. But there's nothing really like smoking uh, that we deal with sort of in society in a way, because like when you crack a beer, no one else has to taste it from the other side right. of the room. Yeah. And aerosol stuff that's in the air is just a different kind of animal it's like sharing the road we're sharing the air when you yeah, get in your car it is right. not your road that you're oh, driving is, which on which is fine when you smoke a cigarette it's not right. just your air right that everyone you know what i mean everyone has to breathe that air absolutely i just don't to me the to getting it outside in the patios is where it got crazy then i was like all right you can't smoke in public parks now you can't smoke like what are you talking about this is the the air is one thing but like our air stops being this community's air when it, it's a larger community it's the entire city it's like you're really going to tell me that we can actually decide that the city wants to have cigarettes or no cigarettes in the park i really don't see that as possible i just bet you they just make whatever decision sounds the best and gets the next person to win the midterms right yeah there's definitely an air of look at me look at what i'm doing for this community please yeah. vote for me as that's, a, that's more like, so than i'm actually concerned about people's health right it's like what mark Marin said in his one of his specials when he was like talking about the global warming in the world he's like well we got the we got the straws you know and the and the, we're bringing our own bags now that should do it <laughs> that's enough <laughs> that's good enough yeah we're, everybody's we, using guys we did it we cracked it yeah. we figured it out right. it's all it's all good now <laughs> right it doesn't matter that these paper straws basically decompose in your beverage <laughs> and like start already falling apart into the earth like before you're done with them uh-huh and then the bags are like, now I have a whole bunch of these bags because I keep forgetting. And you buy more. Or I go, I, it's New York. I got to go on the way. I have to remember before I go to work that I'm going to go to grocery shopping after work and put the grocery bag in my bag to go to, or something like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Probably everybody else does this and I'm just lazy. Or, or they, they're a little bit more organized with their day. They, they yeah, think I about can, their day I'll before they leave the house. Oh, I do that. But I do it uh, the week before and the day of. I don't have like. The month-long plans are always subject to uh, whether, if it's we're filming a sketch, if we can actually get all the actors like we tried this last time to actually meet on the same day. Yeah. Or if it's, um, you know, whether the place that we're shooting at is going to be available for this amount of time. And then if it's, you know, comedy, you get like shows last minute. They're just like, and then you got to switch shifts around and try to make it happen because you're doing all of this to be able to get on stage. Right. So... 
Well, that's topic one. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of did a, like a couple of topics there. We kind of switched around. Yeah. But but just to um just I just wanted to stay on this topic just a little oh, bit yeah, longer. Just, only only because absolutely. you brought up the cigarettes, which when mm-hmm. I was thinking about drugs, I literally forgot because I don't smoke. I have asthma. I'm allergic to smoke. Mm. It's a whole big. It's not just like oh, it bothers me. Like it actually right. affects right. my health. Right. Um, but like, yeah, nicotine's a drug too. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. why why you do that? What do I do it? Why why do you why do you do the cigarettes? It feels wonderful. I don't know. I mean, you know, I love I love I love tobacco. You love tobacco. I love tobacco. That's the thing. <laughs> why? What is it? How? Doesn't it taste terrible? No, not as far as I know. I mean, maybe maybe my mouth didn't tell me. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> no, I mean, I think I remember when I tried it for the first time, and I was walking my dog. Like I was 17, living in Minneapolis, going to high school, got to the creek and I just remember like lighting one cigarette when I was away from people and I had to sit down on a stump because it was affecting me so much, like a tree stump and just be able to walk again. And it was nothing really like what I'd tried before, but I was like, I only continued because people did it. That actual effect, I had no interest in it, but I was like, cigarettes are a thing that people use. I read it in books that like when someone's upset, they have a cigarette and then they calm down. You know, I remember that. It was all storyline. And then before I knew it, I actually started to enjoy... It's almost like when you don't like olives for the first time. And then you kind of develop a taste for it. Mm. It Through that time period, I did. And I totally identify with whatever happened in that one month period or whatever. Three months when I was in high school. And started to kind of understand. And I liked the way that... Especially I started mixing it with weed for the spliffs. Mm. So then it was like... Nicotine gets you this head rush right away, and then the, the weed lasts a little bit longer. It was like that. Remember the Seinfeld episode where they're in the pharmacy, and he's like, which medication do I want? This one's quick acting. This one's long lasting. Right. You know, whether yeah. I want to feel good now or now later. later. It's like, I have both in the same spliff. So it kind of felt like this little recipe that I came up with, and I love recipes, and I love cocktails, and right. I love making making me myself feel like I did something that was cool for myself. It was like, I have my own special blend, and everybody who smokes... If you notice, is so particular, which cigarette brand they smoke, or if they smoke spliffs, how much tobacco is supposed to be in it, which papers they use. Hmm. It's a little ritualistic, you know. But that sort of connection to an addiction is kind of like what what I think we could use more in this country to talk about. You know, I I would love to smoke fewer cigarettes, and I actually quit uh, for about six months this year, and uh, was off of them. And, you know, the first, like, fourth day, I was like, oh, man, breathing's amazing. This is great. I'm going to get <laughs> back into this singing and shit. This is oxygen and, feels like? Yeah. <laughs> clear clarity in my, in my voice. And I can, I'm going to get back into playing music and singing more and all that. And uh, then I think it was like, it was like, I still, it was like I started putting on weight and I was like, fuck this. <laughs> Cigarettes help totally regulate your weight. Well, they, they regulate your, um... Your appetite, their appetite suppressant. No, I think they're a bit of a a metabolic agent, you know. I mean, if you, you know, a lot of people definitely have that. This is gross, but go to the bathroom after they have a meal. You know, the cigarette speeds that up. The nicotine does that? I'm not sure if it's the nicotine or the tobacco or what it is, but I mean, well, we should should figure out. Maybe we'll get some callers and they can call (laughs) in and let us know what they think. (laughs) Yeah. You know? (laughs) Um, but yeah, coffee and a cigarette is together for a reason, Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. but yeah, it was really just because I was frustrated that I was working hard all the time and doing a lot of physical stuff and still gaining a belly. And then I went on vacation with my family and I was like, I know I'm going to have cigarettes when I'm up there. 
And then I came back and I was on them already. Hmm. Back again. Uh, where are, is your family? Well, they don't live there, but we gather in Maine okay. um, uh, in the summers whenever we can. And they uh, all smoke? No, I mean, some of them do. Some? Yeah, yeah. Grandpa used to smoke a pipe, um, but he's 98. Uh, still has a martini, but we water it down. Um, but my uncle and aunt smoke and uh, maybe a couple of the others in my generation smoke. So... Interesting. Yeah. I My family, generally speaking, is mostly non-smoking. A couple of people smoke, but the people who do are also heavy drinkers. So I don't I don't yeah. think there's anyone who like just smokes. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. If, I mean, if you were... A, I can't even imagine a smoker who doesn't drink. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are. The it, people there who actually... Yeah. Yeah. I would actually imagine the most common group is uh, recovering alcoholics and people who had alcoholics in their family. Yeah. Because addiction's alive, but like alcohol's too crazy for that person right. in that moment in their life. That's totally uneducated guess that I'm just making to <laughs> put out in the world, you know, whatever. Yeah, there are different breeds of people. I think there is, um, as someone who, I never had the opportunity to start smoking because I was diagnosed with asthma when I was like 14. So mm. like they cut me off like yeah. before I could even get my get my legs. But right, I, would, right. I used to be able to be around smokers just fine. Sure. And then something changed and now I, it's hard for me to even be around it. I can I can go into a room and know that someone had smoked in there because my eyes will start stinging mm. and I can smell it even though nobody else can. Like right. I've become super sensitive to it. Right. But the funny thing about addiction is that Yes, a lot. Some of it is it just is funny. a chemical addiction. Is hilarious. <laughs> oh my god, addiction is so funny. Like, yeah, uh, <laughs> have you yeah, heard right. this one? No. Right, heard the one about the, the addict and the problem. Yeah, it doesn't work out. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, he died. Yeah, he so. died. He died. Oh no. Jesus. No, uh, so you know, not every. It looks, I can say that because I smoke cigarettes. <laughs> and and the thing is, not everybody. For some reason, there are people out there who just get cancer and die, and they're the healthiest people ever. And there are people like your family member whose mm-hmm. relation to you I don't. remember. Grandfather, someone the one who smoked who a pipe. Smokes, yeah, smokes a pipe. Yes. Well, he smoked a pipe. He's older. You know, he quit like years ago. But my aunt and uncle still smoke. And they'll like drink. Some people can drink heavily, yeah. smoke heavily, and live to their hundreds and never right. have cancer, never have emphysema, never have any kind of. I think we should study those people because right. clearly something's going on with their. It's not the environment, obviously, that's going to kill them. Right. Right. They're just going to die in their sleep of natural causes. Um. So, for example, uh, one of the only people that I know that keeps the smoking regimen up in the way that he does is my uncle, and he still works out every day for about twenty minutes, just every like every day. Okay. And part of it's just because you know. Not like everybody's like this in the country, but he did serve in the military. He's Israeli. Plenty of Israelis smoke cigarettes and don't do an ounce of exercise. Right. <laughs> but in his version, it works out. And, um, you know, he's in his 60s. And I think that um, it's just a coincidence. It's a byproduct of being a smoker, which also, as we talked about, involves drinking a lot. That it coincides, uh, it pushes against the exercise regimen, you know. Okay, balancing. Yeah. So I think that a lot of the people who don't smoke... Probably, uh, I mean, this is these are all huge generalizations, but it would be easier to get into exercise if you weren't a smoker. Yeah. That's fair to say. Yeah. And if you have some background in both, then you can keep them going. But to actually keep smoking and exercising going in your 60s is not a common combination. Not in... 
Well, I, I'm coming from American culture. I don't know what Israeli culture is like, but but let's say like um, like traditional Chinese culture, it is very normal <clears throat> for Chinese oh, people to yeah. smoke heavily and right. drink heavily, but do Tai Chi every day. Right. You know, at five in the morning. Right. In the park for some reason, I don't know why. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and yes, yeah. some of them will will die young, but some of them will live to for forever yeah. and be fine. Yep. Doing all their, you know, engaging in all their vices. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, the one thing that a lot of the, uh, you know, if I were on stage, I would just refer to them as the healthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, the, what the, the one thing that they don't get uh, as easily as people who use drugs is release. You know, that feeling, which actually does contribute to a stress reliever, even if it's uh, uh, helped out or induced by a narcotic, mm-hmm. is that you then as an individual have an option to then obsess over that feeling of release and then abuse it and then get crazy with your usage mm-hmm. or to really figure out a way to, to understand, you know, use critical thinking and understand that this is helpful. You still have to balance out your life with something that involves moving around, getting your cardiovascular shit pumping, blood flowing through your veins and 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 making sure that your body works because it doesn't work like it did when you were 15, when you're 30, 40, 50 and 60. So you have to do things and then you have a beverage, have six. Well, okay. You know? <laughs> I mean, have, to have, have one, have two. <laughs> Probably don't have six if you can help it. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. I still think six is fun sometimes. Over the course of an of like a long day or several hours, at six is okay. I'm not saying immediately. No, yeah, one right after the other. <laughs> one just just down, power hour. I mean, you you drink five five beers or whatever it is you're drinking. Um, in that hour. Like, yeah. if, you do, if you do the math, you're drinking five drinks in an hour. Right. So. Oh, and that's actually if you're drink, ordering one at a time. Because I've heard, because, you know, in some bars, like a lot of bars, there's pairings, like a beer and a shot. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I do know some people. There's actually one story I heard about a guy who doesn't drink anymore because um, it got out of hand. But um, there, apparently there is the usage M&M to label uh beverages that are not exactly that common so m&m the first time i heard it was an m&m shot which is mezcal and montenegro mezcal and amaro okay so it's like you know a little sweet little herbal kind of a punch in the face but little you know not as much of a punch in the face as straight mezcal and then someone else said that there was this guy in our neighborhood who was ordering m&ms and i was like what is that it's the mezcal and montenegro he was like no it's a manhattan and a modelo and i was like who the fuck needs both of those things together I'm really confused. Yeah. You know, it's like a beer in a shot, but instead of a shot, I'll have a I'll have an entire cocktail that has no ice and is made entirely of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently he would have six of those. Oh no. In a sitting. That's Yeah. That's no. twelve drinks. That's twelve drinks. Yeah. No. And one of them is a drink and a half at least, you know? I um something that I um spoke to Oh, the co-host of my podcast, This Is Ugh, about this many, many, ugh. many years ago. This Is Ugh. ugh. <laughs> um, was that... Soon to be followed by This Is This Is That's what this is. <laughs> uh, something I said a, lo- a long time ago was I didn't enjoy being around like... I would, I'm not going to call them professional drinkers, but like uh, competitive drinkers who like when I... Like professional's dr- too much credit. A profe- I mean, profe- <laughs> if you're a professional in anything, that means you're getting paid for it. And ain't nobody oh, paying you to drink. Oh, there we go. You know, there, nobody's paying you to right. drink. That's so, the truth right there. Um, 
But I said, you know, it's not fun to be around people who like maybe just don't have a thing that they're good at, but the thing that they found they're, that they're good at is drinking. So when they drink, they're not trying uh, to just relax and chill and have fun. They're right. trying to like outdo other people or outdo themselves in some way. So they're like, oh, you've only had two drinks in the past half an hour. You can't keep up with me. I'm going to get you a drink so we can drink at the same pace. And you, you know, and I'm better than you at this. And I'm like, this is not. I'm, this is not what I'm here for. <laughs> I'm not having fun with you right now. I'm just trying to relax and get my anxiety down to yeah. a level that I can deal with and feel okay about. You are on some other That's shit. That's when the drunk says, so am I. <laughs> like, you're on some other shit right now. And like, are, are you even having fun? You know what I mean? At that yeah, point, if you're right. a competitive drinker and the thing that you found that mm. you're good at is drinking a lot, are you even having fun at this point? The the only time I've ever been in a situation like that where I've been also, and it's been, it's it's definitely happened to me where i've been next to someone and we're like you know another shot and someone's like always and then the other person's like no i don't feel like it's like really not you're not ready for you know what i mean you get into the whole conversation about like and in that case it's always framed as not like really you can't handle another one but like really you're not gonna you're gonna leave me hanging here like i have to do this one by myself they always it's always turned around into this guilt thing yeah and because first of all i guess you know that's a little bit just how addiction works Mm -hmm. you know you have power in numbers. It's a little bit less culpability on your part. It's not like you were drinking alone all night, for example. Right. But I also have been in that situation and been totally behind it. <laughs> been like, yeah, man, let's do another shot. You know what I mean? We're all hanging out. We're having a good time. And I think that it's it's a huge gray area. Because sometimes, let's say it's like a wedding or something. And it's like, you know, everybody's kind of hanging out together. And like, you know, that's sort of part of the ritual. Now, if there's someone who doesn't drink and wants to hang out at the wedding, they're obviously going to have just as much fun as everybody else. If they, you know what I mean? Well, drink. Some drinkers don't think that. Some drinkers think that there's no, there's no kind of fun like inebriated fun, and sobriety can never be as fun. Right. I think. Well, every group does is susceptible to evangelism. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what that is. That's like, man, you got to see the light. You know what I mean? You just have your fourth shot, and then after that, <laughs> just that's that when. One. That's when you that's when you number. like can walk right up to her and like say shit like and not worry, man. <laughs> that's like there's a lot of there's a lot of, you know, probably just philosophical, you know, uh um fast food philosophical sort of isms about that. Right. You know. Fast food uh, philosophy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but the actual act of drinking, I think on the one hand, it's like there's this huge scope. There are people in this country who will definitely say and all over the world, but like, you know, as far as this this country that view it as like I don't know. I imagine how Mormons view it or Amish or something. I have no idea. Um, but like, you know, people who are very rich and Orthodox Jews, like, you know, uh, although there's Chabad, they drink like, I don't know why they drink a lot. But um, people who value sobriety, I think, to that sort of extreme level, I think, view drugs. It's odd. It's like they view drugs not as something that is just something that they chose not to do, something that is an active detriment. Mm-hmm. to the people around them and they are avoiding it because it's like you know like this like the odyssey with the don't, don't get distracted by the women singing you right. know the sirens you right. know like it's that sort of religious again sort of energy of like stay the course you know be the be the human that you are you know you're a you're a machine you're ready to like make the best life possible and don't let these distractions lead you to the world of sin where you end up in hell and all that and there's no wi-fi and there's know? of course there's no wi-fi in hell I yeah mean. Sorry, I was just stealing my friend's joke. <laughs> Alex Carabano had this. He has a good sketch on Instagram. That's right. <laughs> millennials. Um, he's, it's about millennials showing up in hell and asking what the Wi-Fi password is. 
I mean, but why is it okay? Gen Z would ask that too. It's not just us. It's it's everyone. It's millennials and everyone after would ask that. It's well, not then, just okay. Us. That's yeah. That's like saying it's not. You know, it wasn't uh, just Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. It was Blink One Eighty Two also. Like that's still millennial. You have to get you have to get younger to get the later generations. Well, no, I mean like it's like you talk about the origin and then also the offshoot of that energy. You know? Oh, okay. yeah, millennial. Fine, millennial, millennial, and millennial adjacent. Yeah. <laughs> Millennial and post-millennial. Post-millennial. No, not post-Malone, post-millennial. Right. If, um. Yeah, post-Malone doing his post-millennial tour. <laughs> and yeah, the first fan who can say it five times fast gets a free ticket. That's how that works. <laughs> Whoever remixes this the best. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I think that you can be uh, a zealot about anything. You can Also, you can be addicted to anything. And this is something I write about in uh, one of my my several... I have two books that I self-published that I don't, like, talk about. But I'll just tell you the names right now. The first one is Who Am I? Question mark. And the mm-hmm. second one is Are You Listening? And I've been it's been 12 years since I started writing the third one. And mm. I, I'm going to get it done eventually. I'm yeah, going to get it done. I get you. It's just every week I come up with something else that I want to put in it. And then, it, you know, then it's not done. So so, like, yeah. at some point, you just have to decide, like, this is it. It's done. And anything else that happens is going to go, right. like, in the next one. But one thing that I talked about is that you can be addicted to anything. Addictions, yes, are absolutely bio, bio, biological yeah. and chemical. I would love to talk about this. But absolutely. You can, if, you, if you're using anything to not feel your feelings or to regulate your mood, anything I, I can become an addiction. I think there's a limit to that. I mean, like, comparing crack to a strawberry like you could well uh, and, I know, and i'm aware of the sugar like i understand right. the sugar but it's natural sugar but, so it's not quite as bad yeah but, but you I, can be but but just sticking with that food addiction is real absolutely but right I'm, but you know what i mean like the 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 thing is like I, I don't even think it's accurate to call it a food addiction because to me it's, why because to me the food is is um the its power is elevated by societal elements of control whereas you don't have to elevate the power of of crack or heroin at all i think the difference it's not is like i do heroin because everyone else around me was is doing, doing it. it maybe yeah. you started but you kept going because of with because food you're, it yeah. was like this is absolutely associated with like there's nothing about that i can picture physiologically that i've i mean i haven't read enough about this but like if if anybody's written about um some sort of comparison of the physiological effect of not eating if there is a type of pleasure that you get from from not eating yeah specifically? from controlling well in this case yeah let's say i'm talking about like control over food let's just talk anorexia for okay. example as an example okay so um uh to try to compare if it's an addiction i guess it's an ad- either an addiction that doesn't involve the type of pleasure feeling that certain drugs do have but i want to figure out that correlation i want to figure out if food is an addiction then how do you compare an addiction that doesn't actually give you that wonderful, amazing feeling or that thing that you're absolutely relied on, you know, because it used to give you that wonderful, amazing feeling like not eating a burger, you know, when you want a burger must give you some feeling of pleasure in control over your, you know what I mean? I I want to figure out how to quantify that. Okay. So there's a, there's a couple of things happening here. The first one is let's just start with like the chemical, the chemistry of, drugs right yeah. there's obviously a, a biochemical thing that happens in your body and in your brain when you do a drug mm-hmm. and that can become an addiction when you're when your brain and body adjust to having that thing 
and then has withdrawals when they don't when it, and it doesn't function properly without it. Like that's like a that I would say that's like a physical dependency. Yeah. And that is that and that's what detox is for. So when you go to detox yeah, before right. you go to rehab, right? right you're right. trying to get your body to re- to flush it out and regulate and re-regulate itself without the thing. Right. It's and, it's like a Stranger Things moment. Like you've got to get the shit out, otherwise yeah. the doctors can't even communicate with the right. patient. Right. Exactly. We can't even help you until you yeah. detox. Yeah. So that's that itself is separate from most. I would say emotional dependencies, mm-hmm. even though like food is kind of in between between yeah. emotional and physical because yeah, you obviously right. have to eat and food can affect yeah. your the way you feel. Right. But that's detox from drugs is, and alcohol is separate. And and actually detoxing from alcohol is incredibly dangerous. Mm. If you have someone in your life you're trying to, to get to stop drinking, do well, not take that into your own hands because you could kill them. No, they, that has to be done by a professional. It wasn't in my own hands, no, but it's, no, it's, it's, we've, we've been there. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's for, for whatever reason, um, it's more dangerous to detox from alcohol from alcohol consumption than it is from like any harder drug. I don't I don't know why, but your body just goes into seizures and it's a yeah. whole thing. So like don't do that yourself, people. Get the person professional help if you want to detox them from alcohol. Right. But beyond that, once we get into the emotional side of things, yes, like there have been studies on sugar in particular. Like they love to study yeah. sugar versus like cocaine for whatever reason. Those are I guess because they're both white powdery substances or like let's let's yeah, do those mad. things. But right. but there is a chemical for people who have whether it's a restriction or it's uh, it's overconsumption, there are changes physiologically that happen in, in the brains and bodies of people who have a problem versus people who just eat because they need to eat. Right. And you know, it's like I eat to live versus I live to eat. There is Mm. something to that well How- diabetes is real like it does yeah. cause an effect in your body for sure um yeah there it's just and also like there's a huge difference between eating like super organic super healthy um non-processed food versus eating super extra processed crap like you can eat five thousand yeah. calories of that in a day and not feel full because of what right. it isn't and what it is yeah. versus you know, your body will tell you to stop eating. Your body will be like, I don't need any more. Or you can feel way too full because it's loaded with MSG. It's, it's you know, then, it, there's <laughs> it is, but like, like all it's I like had was rice. I'm not hungry for two days. What well. happened? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, there, there is something to that. So the, so when I say addiction, it doesn't, it doesn't just mean like, you know, a, a chemical dependency your body has developed. It, do, it also includes emotional things. But mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of what goes into the, the entire reason that someone started doing drugs or alcohol or nicotine or whatever it was so much so that they be that the physical dependency developed at all mm-hmm. right because you have to do it a, a certain amount well like, they say meth is like a one-shot deal but like you know lower well, than meth lower than meth and heroin yeah you have to do it a couple slogan. times that's the slogan, slogan. one shot deal that's yep, it that's right <laughs> but, but you know similar to nike yeah just you, do it you have to do it a certain amount of time to be cut for your body to become dependent on it but then why but why did you do it that many times and that oh is always emotional almost yeah. unless someone is like sh- tying you down and shooting you up and making you do it right it's that the reason behind it is emotional so the, for the people who don't have compassion for yeah. drug users and who don't believe that you know i think i don't know if it's sweden or switzerland but like one of those super liberal countries out there those homogenous countries out there is like <laughs> <laughs> if you get what i'm saying <laughs> you don't have people like we don't yeah, want those babies outside the grocery <laughs> store when they go shopping it, yeah i thought that wasn't a big it's like not in america you can't do that but yeah. out there it's like a total it's a normal thing right those right. countries have this amount of compassion for drug users they don't see it as a failing like a moral failing or, or a failure of your personality they see it as a symptom of a of a huge emotional issue mm-hmm. that you're having so yes we're going to detox you because you've yeah. been doing drugs then we're going to put you in rehab right. and we're going to get to the bottom of why you started doing drugs in the first place and that 
is what's going to keep you from going back into the cycle of addiction because there's something in there that got you to that place in the first place. And some people are like, oh, no, drugs don't do it for me. Alcohol doesn't do it. Cigarettes doesn't Mm. do it. But you know what does it? That pie will do it. Yeah. Yeah. Those cookies will do it. Right. Well, that's so interesting to me because, like, first of all, the relationship between food and drugs is still, like, there's so much to be figured out, I guess. But, like, I'm trying to think of another example of something in society that isn't so potent narcotically but still has an effect on people that's not food. Something that you mentioned, fighting, aggression. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. People people will go yeah. out of their way to get right. into fights with people and to start right. problems with people. Well, that one's also so interesting because I don't know if there's a relationship or a connection to food in this way, but fighting to me, at least just being a man. <laughs> I'm just 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 knowing Unfortunately, all the, yes, you're a man. Knowing there's nothing all the, we can do about that. I mean, I've enjoyed it. <laughs> I I I I it's I've, enjoyed you. It's been, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I hope it has. Has, has manhood reviewed me? <laughs> manhood gave me four stars. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. Still room for improvement, but uh, so far so good. I hope. Um, but like knowing being a man, also what I mean by that really is just growing up in a community of men. Okay. And talking to them and hearing from them in that sort of way that like you know. We all do talk to each other, but a lot of times we do share, uh, all of us individuals share specific details with other certain people who are in the group that we are in. So if it's a male experience or a female experience or a white experience or a black experience or anything in between or a trans experience, a lot of times we'll just immediately find someone and be like, well, you've had an experience that's similar to me. I can share this with you a little more uh, openly, let's say at first. And then obviously you see what that person's like. Mm-hmm. But... So having heard a lot of things that have, men have said to me, you know, over time is part of just also just being a man. Right. You know, and, and the things that men say to women are totally different and, and in their own way. And, and that's another layer of stuff that men like are surprised that like, he said that to you? He was so cool. I've been working with him for two years. He was such a sweet guy. Like, right. oh yeah, he's not sweet all the time. No. Um, that also happens, but like, as far as this angle of, of that thing, um, anger is just such a, anger is like a, it's like an Olympic event for men. Like we are, we, we harness it and use it and use it as, as an element of, I mean, pride in the end, but it's so often, I think because we just were net, we, most of, most men never really, we never even thought of the option that we didn't have to promote this emotion. Well, you also weren't necessarily given the option. I mean, because you were raised by people well, who probably taught you that you're for, allowed one emotion right. That's and the it main is anger. Problem. That's the main problem. Yeah. In my case, I was lucky because all the anger came from mom. Oh, okay. <laughs> so my, whenever I get upset, it's really confusing. It's like he's using a lot of words and they're very specific, but he has, it doesn't look like he wants to fight me yet. <laughs> yet. I'm not saying I won't, but, you know, um, my dad was very, very gentle and kind is sorry i'm getting up again um for our for our listeners listening i'm basically just making sure that you can see our recording is still recording he's making sure the levels are right there's levels to this well the last time i changed the levels because i noticed there's a lot of bass in my tracks so i'm trying to let let the bass out there's a lot of bass in your voice yeah i'm trying to hide that oh uh, you don't want to scare people no it's just not good audio speaking oh, okay you need a little bit you need balance so they still hear the bass but they, it's not so like mm-hmm. you don't want to sound like an edm song 
Not not <laughs> while talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be an interesting feature. Um, no, but I think that men really just like, even, you know, um, anger is just the way that we solve problems. For so many, for I feel like 90% of men, um, I mean, that's probably actually high. Because a lot of times you only hear the people who make the noise and don't really see the people that are still there. Right. And just kind of we're managing their anger peacefully. But in terms of the type of people we run into on a regular basis that we sometimes maybe fortunately or unfortunately remember, because this person argued with that person and you talked about it the next day when you heard about it because it happened at the bar or outside the bar. Um, it's a problem solver. It's like anger for men is a problem solver and every other emotion is a problem. Yeah. And so there's not really much in between. And so sadness is confusing. Uh, vulnerability overall is something to be weary of. And confusion is not really allowed. You're always supposed to, and this is probably not just for men, for everybody though, but like, but it, there's a male version of just never being able to say, I don't know. Mm. And just kind of being like, no, this is what happens. See, so you got to do this and that and that. And then you got to come up with this angle. And then that's exactly, see, people don't know. People don't know. They don't listen. They read all the bullshit and then they don't, you know what I mean? And then you're in this yeah. talkathon that it really doesn't have much substance, but it comes from a space where, a lot of us just figured out how to exist and that was the best place for us, you know, whereas in my case, my dad like put bass in his voice twice mm. in my entire childhood, never, never yelled, never raised a hand, you know, and uh, my mom was very unpredictable. So I would see a lot of and she's a soprano singer, so she has a lot of vocal control. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so she was upset. It would like, you know. Uh, it would go in a lot of different directions. So I was familiar, very familiar with anger, but not with what I think there's sort of an inherently like dictatorial like association with male anger. Right. Because there is the combination of the rage and the size. And that like, there's got to be a thought in everybody else's body like, you are so much bigger than all of us. Why can't you be calmer? Right. But that person is thinking, I have to do all of this for all of you. What, what about What about me? Nobody gives a shit because like, even though it's a patriarchy, nobody gave a shit about any emotion except for anger. Right. So even though we promote it, it doesn't make any sense to us. You know, that's something that would really could be addressed, could be fixed <laughs> in the next 50 years, I hope. Yeah, it sucks because anger can be constructive and can be useful, useful in very specific situations. Like absolutely, like when yeah. you are trying to establish boundaries with mm -hmm. a toxic or abusive or manipulative person, when you get angry enough right. to stand up for yourself and say you're not going to treat me like that or you're not going to treat this person like that. Right. When you're and, or if you're in very immediate protective, I need I, I, something's happening and I need to protect myself right now. Right. Then anger is okay, but it's <clears throat> not a long term problem solver. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't um, create solutions the way that other emotions can i just think that because it's probably the most boisterous and the easiest to recognize and, and like the mm -hmm. loudest one it's probably it's the one that gets the most respect and and it's effective it's in many ways it's it's effective at getting well it's effective at yeah, getting not, immediate right um an immediate shift in whatever is going on anger can get an immediate um i don't want to call it a result because it's not really a result it's just a, it's just a change and it and it's like if you want someone mm. to not do the thing you don't want them to do, anger okay. can might be able to get them to not do it, but it right. didn't really change that person. It right. just got you what you were looking for in that moment. 
Well, that's where I think I would also be hesitant right off the bat because I feel like that that just because anger has been overly promoted doesn't mean that it's... I'm not saying you said this, but that it's lesser than the other emotions or even inherently less effective. I still don't think that necessarily. I think that because it's, <clears throat> it's considered a second-tier emotion, it's not considered a pure emotion. How is it... So I don't know that. So yeah. ang- what so what so what they you know they you know them the they they, they? Yeah. you know what they say they yeah. say <laughs> my Shakespeare teacher actually told me who they were. Okay, said there were four people so you know, in purple robes. Right, you that heard live of them. above us uh-huh. and make all the decisions. So anger is considered a secondary emotion. Under anger, you will almost always find some other more pure emotion, like you mentioned, sadness, okay. like vulnerability, like fear. And this is like, basically psychology. Yes. Psychologists. Yeah, we're doing okay. armchair psych. Well, we've been doing armchair psychology the whole time. Time. But right. you know that's what we're doing right my now. My arm is on the chair. So you it's know, perfect. Mine, mine is mine, on yours a, is, yeah, yeah, in the middle in a sort of. I like, have I have shoulder problems. So I'm okay, supporting right. my shoulder. I didn't mean to call you out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Why is your uh, arm not resting? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's on. It's on my coat. Yeah. In my lap. Yeah. There's a pillow you can use too if you want. <laughs> I if I if I need to shift, I'll shift the pillow and I'll make it work for me. Okay. But yeah, so anger is considered a secondary emotion um, that comes after uh-huh. something. So so there's all in almost any situation. You can look at someone who's who's exuding anger, and you can say something else is going on there. Instead of instead of addressing the anger, which is some, what some people try to do when they go, and this always works a hundred percent of the time, sixty percent right. of the time it works a hundred percent of the time. Right? They go, "Well, calm down." Yeah. Well, oh, I, yeah. That's, well, chill out, that, man. That, yeah. <laughs> that always there works. There was a meme about that. It said, <laughs> no one in the history of calming down has been as calmed down by being told to calm down. Right. <laughs> it was that. Yes. hundred percent. But what but what you can do is say, hey, what's what's really going on under there? How right. are you actually feeling? Are you feeling attacked? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling betrayed? Are you feeling vulnerable? Are you feeling envious? Are you, that's what's okay. really going on. But why why if, for example, while I'm listening to you say that, why am I immediately because basically what we're talking about is the goodwill hunting moment. Okay. You know, the the Robin Williams like you know, uh, uh, Matt Damon won't run. He's like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Mm. Shut the fuck up, man. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Like, yeah. that moment is really what we're getting at. And so my immediate reaction is like, yeah, I'm going to go tell this man who's yelling at six different people, already kind of fought one, is ready to fight the other five. Uh, what what is what's happening? Really, what's really what's going really on in there? there? What's, what's really going on in there? there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This man who's on drugs and right. drinking and yeah. Oh no, not even that. Like literally, like 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 yes, but also just just anger. Like anger can really get people there. And I've seen it because you know we've probably seen it, but like you know the pandemic has made a lot of things happen. Mm-hmm. And so we've seen people in situations where. You know, um, they talk about domestic violence going up during the pandemic. Everybody was with each other and didn't have any, you know, uh, all of a sudden this relationship that was kind of, let's say, for example, not even really working. Now you're stuck together. Right. And all of that, like, how do you, there's there's so many sources of anger, Mm -hmm. so many places where anger can come up. So how do you address someone in a way that I guess sounds a little more um realistic maybe if the person is actually in it in in the moment of anger depending on how violent that person is being it's not necessarily the right time to have a therapeutic moment but what i'm saying is in the back of your mind when you are witnessing anger it might be good to just understand 
theoretically something else is going on, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily like off base for for most things. If you see someone flying into a rage, you might just go, oh, well, that person's really drunk and that's it. Or, oh, that person's really high. But it's like right. emotionally something else is going on that's driving whatever right. violence they are, you know, exuding to the world or, or whatever. <laughs> why why is this random person trying to fight this other random person because they said one thing they didn't like? Right. Uh, it's because, well, yeah, you know, their inhibitions are lower because they've been doing whatever. Right. And they already had this whole huge mess of soup within them, of emotional soup that they haven't p- figured out. Right. So the way that they're going to express it is, oh, I'm going to beat that person's ass. Right. Right. Exactly. That'll get it done. That'll get, that'll that'll solve it. Yeah. <laughs> that'll right. fix this this black hole within me. Right. And that's the thing that I think is actually very valuable because I remember a friend of mine uh, talking about, and this was more of a racial topic. He's uh, Jamaican and was talking about um, basically the amount of sympathy he had for people. Uh, for white people who got like, you know, who went to jail and had to suffer for their crimes in a certain context. And he was like, we got into this sort of um, area. He was talking about generations of white people that had, had actually, the way he put it was something like, got that sort of release from using violence on other people to make themselves feel better mm-hmm. about whatever that individual was going through. Right. Generations of that. And the same way, in a sense, for men and women, like right. men perpetrating violence on women. And it's not always that way, but generally, no. when we think of domestic violence, that's usually yeah. what we think of. Yeah, I don't mean to suggest it's always that way, but just in terms of a commonality and just like a, a practice that became pretty honed. And uh, women have honed their shit too, as well. Of, of course, of course. We do it differently. We'll poison you slowly Absolutely. over time. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. Make it happen. Make it hurt. Make it last. That shit better not be quick. <laughs> but to have that sort of um, that sort of basically, we're talking about the release that an individual can get from inflicting pain on another. Mm-hmm. And so the feeling of control and power that you must actually have in that moment, and what that leads to. Right. And so, like, in terms of this, this whole thing, I guess, is where we're kind of going into is like that, that area of like drugs create a feeling of release and power and whatever other, if you're in an addictive state, you're talking about release and power um, to use food or whatever it may be to have control over your surroundings and feel not powerless over your surroundings. And then um, in the end, like, what is the what are we supposed to do like in life and when it comes down to trying to live in a way that is i really don't want to say healthy um but uh that is works better that 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 is functional okay yeah, yeah functional i better. like functional it, it's functional and it is something having to do with peaceful you know what i mean and like like um like you are on you are on the right track you know like like this beer is not going to throw you off and put you into a sinful state. At the same time, if you hold off on all drugs and then start, you know, counting how many walnuts you ate that day. Not that that goes hand in hand, but um, for example, or you use people, honestly, the yep. people in your relationships, people around you have control over people, yep. parents using their kids yep. and, and siblings and friends and lovers Codependency of all Codependency kinds. of all kinds. Abuse, manipulation of all kinds. Right. So much of what I talk about and write about is is that, just the interactions we have with people and how much we come across situations we don't know are abusive because there is no physical contact. But mm. so much of the way people interact with each other yeah. is considered is abusive, even though that's, that's such a huge, heavy word. 
90% of the way people can interact with each other is abusive. And I used to think it was like 50-50. You could Wait, be say like, that again? I think 90% of the way people can, can mm-hmm. potentially interact with each other is abusive. 90% of the way people can. Yes. Can. Yes. So there is, there is, there is, a, there are, there are, let's say there are, are a hundred ways. Let's just say. For people to interact with each other. Right. 90 of them are abusive. 90 of them are abusive. Okay. So are, do any of these, and I don't mean to cut you off. Sure. Do any of these have, uh, let's say, could you name a way? Yeah. Okay. Passive aggressiveness. Okay. That's like. Emotional, okay. emotional abusiveness, emotional manipulation. Like again, we're not we're not necessarily talking about no, physical interactions. I get that. I get but that. But the emo- guilt, guilting, shaming people. Right. Uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. the more the more egregious stuff of like just a, a Karen's just attacking people in grocery stores for no reason mm, and spouting yeah. racial right. slurs at them for obvious. That's the more obvious part <laughs> of it. Yeah. But it goes like you said to parents to children. A lot of parents out here have kids because they want something to control. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And that part of that is raising that child in, to normalize abuse. And then they grow up to have abusive relationships where either they are the abuser or they're being abused or it's a mutual exchange. Right. So, yeah, it's I used to think it was like, well, you can choose to be a jerk or you can choose to not be a jerk. It's 50 50. It's like, no, mm. no. Going going to therapy for so many years has made me realize there is a small sliver of options you have for interacting with people. It's like this big. It's this yeah. tiny. And the rest of it is toxic, manipulative, and abusive. Wow, that's really interesting. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because as far as if so many of us are so easily slipping into it mm-hmm. on a regular basis, which I do think we are. Um, that's why everybody kind of has that whole like reaction if you tell a story and someone's like, stop lying, stop lying. It's like it's, it's an automatic assumption mm-hmm. that your friend would exaggerate what they are telling you. <laughs> like now, sometimes you're not wrong. Sometimes you do have a friend that you do have to question and be like, "Okay, I you told me the story. Now I have to back up and question you about every part of the story because people sometimes will exaggerate and sometimes will not be reliable narrators." But no, for sure. I just think that a lot of I don't think it's. I, I think that I'm saying it's more than a friend. Okay, I'm saying that I think it's a common practice for friends to actually say have that reaction like kind of commonly. Like, no. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. Oh, it's, and maybe it okay. comes from disbelief. Okay. But a lot of times, the way it's worded, when I hear it, sounds like, "No, you are, you are not truthful." Like, like, <laughs> I, like I can't believe someone in their right mind who isn't in an institution would ever like interact with another person that way. Like that doesn't make any sense. Well, what you're saying it's interesting that the 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 assumption is so quickly leaning to that whole like, let's call it sinful or criminal or whatever, like. You know, the, the truth is not being represented accurately here. Right. You know, order in the court, whatever. No, like you really turn into the judge. You're right. Like, no, that's not, that's, that's not, not admissible. No, that doesn't no. sound right. And it's like, no, that's, that's shit like happened. that. That's what happened. Right. And people, I've had that where I told people stories about what happened, like, you know, in their building where they lived and they were like, that's not what happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you live here. Yeah. I interacted with these three people <laughs> and this is what happened. This afterwards. is what happened. Actually, that's a really, Yeah. This is a quick little one. I got to tell you this. Okay. Three women standing in front of a door that was just installed in front of my old building where my two friends still live. And they're probably in their 40s, 50s, something like that. Um, and uh, one of them's clearly the leader. And uh, there is basically there's two problems. Number one, they installed the, the handle to the door like really low, oh. which I thought was kind of perfect because the old ladies, they really like just kind of bending over anyway. Mm-hmm. Sorry, they weren't actually 40. I was just trying to be nice. Um, but they were all more in that sort of 
uh, positioning where they all had like a bit of a hunch. Oh. So in my head, I was like, that's not a problem. But it also, when they installed it, they broke one of the tiles. Oh. So they were complaining about the state of this new door, which they actually kind of liked the old door more. Now there's this broken tile and the shit's much lower. And then one of them, there's three Caribbean women okay. right next to each other okay. at the entrance, blocking the entrance, talking about how bad the new door is. Uh-huh. That's what's going on. And I walk in and I hear one of them go, you got to complain. you got to stick together. This would have never happened if the Jews were still here. <laughs> And I told my friend that she was like, stop it, stop it. And I was like, no, I, I, I walked home. I walked home. That's all that happened. I just walked home from the train station and walked into the conversation, you know, but they were just talking about collective complaint. Yeah. You know, really in that moment. But like you tell things like that, that are surprising and that are funny or that are, and as, as a comedian, I love remembering the stories that to me are so significant about moments like that or mm-hmm. something that happened in a grocery store or at a concert or at a bar or, or on a date or something because they're so telling about human behavior. And I think people are interested in that. Yeah. You know, but they accuse you of like, no, that's, that didn't happen. I think that... I wouldn't do that. I'm trying to think of my friends because, yeah, my friends are not known for like just making up stuff. So I think that's interesting mm. that it's, the, it's this automatic like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stop it. That's like the first, that's the first reaction. I I might say stop, like S-T-A-H-P, like stop. (laughs) (laughs) But I wouldn't, that's not obviously, that's just my like, oh shit, that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. No, I've heard, I've heard the short version, just the (laughs) S-T-O, the regular O. Um, But there's so many things that we, we figured out. I think we have like this interesting like angle on release and power, which is basically like what we all do to get it. And what is involved in, what are the after effects of that? You know what we didn't mention as a part of release and power? It's a huge part. Sex? Well, <laughs> we did kind of mention like uh, the way people interact with each other. So that would be, that would be another part of that. Right, right, right. <laughs> Sex would be a part of that. But, yeah. but uh, religion oh, is a God. huge part of, of release and power. Does it have any release? Is there anything pleasant or pleasure, pleasurable about religion? I still haven't figured that out. Well, then clearly you're not a part of that. <laughs> you're no. not a part of it prayer. if you figure that out. Prayer. No, really, I'm not even being uh, uh, the asshole that I normally am. Uh, I mean, I am, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, um, I feel like, yeah, prayer, I can see there being some pleasure in, but like singing along and mm-hmm. I don't understand that as much, you know. Uh, well, you know, different strokes for different folks. You know, that's, there's a, you know, there's a reason, you know. There's so many Catholics that are like, oh, my God, church is hell. And so many black people are like, oh, my God, I love going to church on Sunday. You know, oh. it's like there's it's just a different experience. Right. You know? That's literally a joke I'm working on, which is basically like if I see your online dating profile and you it looks like you're really into Christianity, you better be black. Yeah. Because otherwise I'm worried. Yeah. Well, you could still be worried even even, <laughs> even if they're black because oh, they, you know. Of course. But, but, but you're, you're, starting, you're starting out at a better place. I understand, <laughs> though. Like, if people like, you know, I don't understand why it's just, yeah, just the joke. I don't understand why white people need God still. <laughs> you have everything else. You need God, too? You still need God. You still need God. Mm-hmm. Well, they're losing their grip on God. That's why they're holding on to it so tight because, you know, with, with science and... Yeah. And people just having other other things to hold on to. Religion is losing its grip. Yeah. Oh, I found out something on NPR, uh, uh, which sounds like the most pompous way to say it. But I meant the daily. The, I love listening to the daily. Mm-hmm. They, there's a there's a Christian cell phone company okay. called the uh, Patriot Mobile. Uh huh. 
<laughs> I don't like where this is going, but continue. No, they were talking about how like they really just have a cell phone company and they really thought that the Christian values needed to be present in the way that they ran their business. They think that Christianity should be present in business and family and in home life and everywhere. And so they founded this company to reflect, I guess, um, the communication style of the Lord. I don't really know. <laughs> what does patriotism have to do with that? I see no connection <laughs> at all. I don't know why, like, you could even associate cell phones with, with deities. No. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe they have a cheaper plan to reach him. <laughs> you want to talk to God? Yeah, yeah. That's all I can really see the benefit of. Otherwise, maybe I should start a Jewish cell phone company. You probably, I mean, you probably could do that. It'll be called, hey! <laughs> also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The pa- Patriot Mobile. I'm so sorry to plug it twice. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I guess if you want to, you know, be Christian and, be and Christian. have a phone. Are you Christian? Do you have a phone? <laughs> it's not possible to be a Christian with a phone unless you, ha- unless you sign up for Patriot Mobile. <laughs> All those, those non-Christian phone company having Christians... <laughs> are basically Unitarians. <laughs> no, I don't know. So release in power. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that's such a foundational way of looking at individual behavior. Yeah, and, and we and talked about too, this but... on our the, on our phone call that we had where I was describing what the locus of control was. Mm-hmm. And I was mentioning that, you know, I could only really now be around people who have an internal locus of control, which means that you, when something is happening, you look at yourself first and you ask, mm-hmm. like, what can I do to change it? What, what do, what, how did I contribute to this? And you don't go outside and try to like change other people or, you know, you can try to like do your part to change the world for the better in, in whatever, you know, philanthropic way you want to, but you don't necessarily look to the outside and go, Hey, if I have a problem with something, it's that other thing that needs to change necessarily. Right. right. So a lot of the power and, um, and release is trying to figure out a way to control others, to control other people, especially when you, when it comes to people. Right. It's trying to get that other person to, yeah. to do what you want them to do so you are not stressed or not anxious or happy or whatever emotion you want to attach to it. It's trying, right. you know, so it's it's this battle. Well, that sounds so connected to religion, too, and it's not another person as much as it is like, you know, the demons and the sinful energy and the... The response to uh, living a good life. Don't let that energy, you know, again, take you off, uh, off your path and, mm-hmm. and put you into this world where you will regret all your choices and, you know, and, and um, labeling it as this sort of othered energy that is just in the ether, mm-hmm. evilness or yeah. whatever, that you can sort of align with if you don't keep watching. Yeah. You know, you got to be like your own neighborhood watch person for your soul. Yeah. And make sure that the evil doesn't sneak in the window and leave it open with, you know, or whatever to cool the pie. (laughs) Um, But you, yeah, that that sort of thing has to do with, I think, uh, in this case, you were talking about people. And I I don't know which one, if religion is is one of many examples of energy um, where people blame the external source in terms of themselves. Right. But I do think um, that people really it is harder to look at yourself in many, many, maybe not all, but many, many occasions. And so it's, you know, sometimes very often the harder thing is the right thing. Oh, of course. Yeah, so, of course. The harder thing. Not always. Not always. By but a long shot. But a lot of the time. But often. 
But how how do you know if you don't have the time to just sit there and reflect and, and process and, and do your own analysis sure. of what's going on? So the yeah. easiest thing to do is when you don't have the time to sit down, you just go, that that's the, that thing. Right. Right. And I and I tried to practice um, my ways of speaking. So if I don't like something, I try to make it personal and say, I don't like that thing as opposed. And, right. and, and some people right. don't sure. see the difference between saying I don't like it and it's bad or it's not good or something wrong with it. Right. right. It, those two things are the same thing. And for me, I'm like. I'm going to make the choice to say I don't like it right. or it's not right for me because it makes me right. write the quote unquote issue Sure. as opposed to saying that thing is wrong, that thing is bad. There are some things where I think that thing is wrong, that thing is bad. But sure. if it's like, hey, it's just not for me, I try to make that thing not the problem. I do the same thing. Instead of saying you're fucking stupid, I say that was fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the person will probably interpret it the same way. <laughs> it may not make a difference to them. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I made a whole lot of effort right there to switch my perspective, you know, and right. just come at them from a peaceful angle. <laughs> I called your choices moronic, not you. Right. Come on, man. Yeah. Give me a break I here. I said you were acting like a bitch. I didn't say you right, were a bitch. Exactly. <laughs> so. I just said you had bitch-like tendencies. <laughs> It's just what I said. Like I was you speaking t- about your tendencies. You lean, you, it's a it's a bitchy lean. <laughs> you got a bitchy lean. Yeah. <laughs> if you stand up straight, I don't see a bitch. <laughs> wow, I said that way too much just now. Bitch, 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 bitch. Yeah, bitch. yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have so much more to cover. I feel like. Um, oh, of course, this isn't a one shot conversation. No, no. But I wanted to actually propose an idea because I feel like another beer. Oh sure. So do you press do you, pause? Yeah, let's press pause. Let's, um Do you do this all? Are you going to like stop this and do another recording? Or? I figure we stop and just no, no, no. Unpause and keep going, and then we'll kind of like once it hits record again, we'll be like, and we're back. And we're back from our you break. Know.